Okay, well, it is time to get back into the exposition of the, the book of Galatians. Yeah, you know, I, I'm always so impressed when I study the book of Galatians systematically, not just, you know, airdropping in with a parachute and little bits and pieces, but going through all of Paul's logic systematically in the order that he gave it, the arguments that he's trying to make. And I think I've, I'm sure I've said it before that if Paul was alive today and he was to observe some of what goes on in Christianity with the things that we get ourselves entangled in with legalism, the law of Moses, tradition, our own laws that we make up, he wouldn't write a new document. Uh, he would just title it differently and then send them the epistle of the Galatians. Um, it really should be our bread and butter when it comes to looking at and confronting, addressing uh, issues of legalism. And uh, it's just a great resource. So let's get back into it. Now, seeing that we've been out of it for so long, we stopped uh, for a while to look at the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Law of Moses, the Covenant of Christ. Uh, I want to do a uh, a review with you to get us back into Paul's train of thought. Also, uh, there are new faces, and some people may have dropped in just during that parentheses uh, when we were looking at the covenant. So I want to get us back into what Paul is arguing, what he's saying to these, these dear people that he loves so much. Um, so what had happened is before Paul had written this letter to the, the churches in the region of Galatia is that he, from someone, he had received word that there were problems there. It's always how it happens. Uh, remember with the Corinthians, uh, he said, you know, some from the household of Chloe have told me that you guys are all wrong over there in Corinth. Uh, I'm not sure how things went for Chloe's household after that, uh, but we don't know who told on the Galatians, but uh, we're glad that they did. And the problems in Galatia were not like the problems in Corinth, where there was just crazy division, and as well as uh, sexual morality was rampant in the church. Imagine such a thing. That, uh, the, 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 the many in the body were going back into uh, pagan practices, and one of them was ritual sex. Okay? Uh, that would just, I don't even know how I would handle that today. Um, glad we don't live in a society where there's, um, well, we do live in a society like that, but um, <laughs> it, it, it just looked different, you know, it looked different. We don't have, you know, a temple to Aphrodite on the hill behind the church here uh, that uh, floods the city with a thousand temple prostitutes uh, during the festivals. Um, it's all online now, but um, anyway, it was... It's, it, it wasn't the same in Galatia there. Uh, it's also not like the problem that Paul was facing, uh, not Paul was facing, but the church in Thessalonica where they were suffering persecution from the community, uh, harsh persecution. And, uh, and that's not the problem. In Galatia, the problem has come from out of town. Uh, men known as the Judaizers had come from Jerusalem to the churches of Galatia. And what they were doing, Paul says, is they were perverting, they were distorting the gospel of grace, and they were saying also that Paul was a false apostle who was teaching a false gospel. So in this letter, Paul has set out essentially to do three things. Uh, initially, he has, to, he has to defend his apostleship, that he is a true apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he has to prove that the gospel that he was preaching 
was the gospel that was delivered from Christ to Paul, and that's the one that he was preaching. And also, he has to demonstrate that what the Judaizers were teaching was a perverted gospel. It was a twisted uh, version that he says. It's not even really a gospel, but there's those that pervert it. And the core doctrine of the Judaizers was that all Christians, uh, both Jews and Gentiles, had to keep the law of Moses if they were going to please God. And we use theological terms. Uh, uh, they, they were saying that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be justified, uh, and you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be sanctified. In the end, really, it was your obedience to the law that we might say proved that you were saved, and then it was your obedience to the law in how you live for God. It's how you pleased God. That's the perversion. According to them, true righteousness can only be achieved by keeping the things in the law of Moses, adhering to the old covenant. But as we've gone through from Galatians chapter 1, especially starting in in verse 6, Paul is demonstrating that this is not the gospel of Christ. Mingling the law with the Christian faith is a perversion, he says. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says it exposes a person to the severest condemnation the severest, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It doesn't align itself with the truth of the gospel, chapter 2, verse 14. It can never. He says it does not have the ability to justify, to sanctify the believer, 2.16. He says it's actually a rejection of the grace of God, which actually, grace is what actually makes us righteous, 2.21. He says the law brings a curse, Galatians 3.10. Righteousness, he says, by way of the law will never, a righteousness rather, by way of the law was never God's purpose for the law. Galatians 3, 19 and 24. Remember the law, the purpose of the law, God's purpose for the law. We have assigned many other purposes for the law, but the divine purpose of the law was to lead the sinner to Christ, that he might be justified by faith. And then verse 25, to demonstrate that the law has no jurisdiction over the new covenant believer Paul says, we're no longer under the law, the tutor. So the, because the moral nature of God, as we saw in the last couple of weeks, because it's expressed in the law, he's saying there's ethical wisdom to be rendered from it. But the law is no law to us. But the Galatians had been duped into thinking that if they were going to please God, they had to keep the law, to which Paul responds, my second and final slide, I have to get out early because of the dress rehearsal. So we'll close in prayer after this. <laughs> Things are tough at home. <laughs> so. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. That's where we left off in Galatians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. The Galatians... Uh, had started observing the Jewish calendar, okay, according to the law of Moses, which consisted of keeping Sabbath, uh, worship surrounding the new moons each month, the seasonal feasts, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles, and then the sabbatical year years, and then the years of Jubilee. So those who were once set free by the gospel of grace from pagan rules and regulations were now enslaved by religious works of a Jewish nature. So they just went from pagan rules to Jewish rules. And Paul says that 
He was terrified for their sakes. So I think that we need to learn from this that just the, the introduction, rather what Paul calls a smuggling in, the smuggling in of just one legal requirement from the law of Moses should terrify us as it did Paul. And then it should call us to action for our brother and sister's sake. Okay. In chapter two, we saw that you know, by Peter uh, keeping the Jewish dietary regulations, Paul says, you have completely deviated from the truth of the gospel. He says the gospel had been, was compromised by food regulations, which Christ had recently abolished. And now by these Galatians keeping the various regulations in the Jewish calendar, Paul's afraid. Paul's afraid. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't just worried about them. He was genuinely afraid. Why would Paul be afraid of people keeping Sabbath? Why would he be afraid of people keeping the feasts? Well, remember, Paul said that those who teach any other gospel than the true gospel, he said, will be accursed. Galatians 1, uh, uh, 8 and 9. And so if the preacher of a false gospel is doomed to spiritual destruction, what will be the end for those who embrace the message? That's really what we need to think about. Because in Galatians 3.10, Paul said, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. So he's saying the same thing. He's saying those who preach another gospel, which the gospel in the context here is that you have to keep the law of Moses. He says those people are cursed. And then those who take up this thing, he says, they will incur the curse of the law. It's the same thing, isn't it? Paul's afraid. If, if obedience to the law is the path you've chosen to become righteous as God requires, you'll have to obey it perfectly. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians 3.10. But because you cannot keep the law, you will only reap the curse of the law, which is what? Spiritual death. That's right. Yeah. So you can't just you know, keep the, the diet perfectly and succeed. You can't just keep the Sabbath every Saturday and succeed. You have to keep every precept in the law of Moses without fail, and you have to have a pure heart in the process. You're going to fail. <laughs> You're going to fail. You will be cursed in the end. So Paul says, I'm afraid for you. Now, Paul could have used any number of Greek words to express what he was feeling about the danger these people were in, but he selected the word for fear, to be terrified, to be frightened. Now, if Paul was afraid for them just because they were keeping the Sabbath, new moons, feast, jubilees, and the rest, why in our day are we not concerned about these things being smuggled into the faith? <clears throat> you know, it's no big deal. They just keep the Sabbath day. It's nothing to worry about. Oh, they just keep kosher. Nothing to be concerned about. So let me get this straight. Paul was afraid for the Galatians, but it's nothing for us to worry about today. What, what am I missing? What are we missing? What I see in Christianity today is this, well, you know, I mean, let's just all get along. Let's just let everybody do their own thing. Let, let's, just, let's just not stir the pot. That was something Paul could be concerned about. But we don't need to be like Paul. We don't need to have the heart of Paul. We don't need to have the perspective of Paul about doctrine and theology. We just need to take it easy. I, I'm really disgusted by that. You know, it's all things unity for the sake of unity, and let's just push the truth out 
and let's make the gospel whatever we want. There are fearful passages in Scripture. Jesus said, you know, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and that's just is the way to go, it seems. But I'm not the one that narrowed the gate. He is, and nothing has changed, but we just keep making the gate wider and wider, and I think that we're, we're losing sight of the true nature of these kinds of things. We need to be concerned, deeply concerned. If Paul would, for example, publicly rebuke Peter for abandoning the truth of the gospel over the issue of food, because that's the context of Galatians 2. Okay? Maybe we should have the courage to at least bring it up when we see it. Whenever I meet believers who practice these things, I always ask them why. And, and I'm very friendly about it. I'm not like, I hope I'm not mean, but they say, well, I keep kosher. Say, oh, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And, and if they believe they have some religious obligation to, I do. I, I take them to the warnings in the book of Galatians. Why would I do that? Well, because first God has told them not to do those things. He's told us not to do those things. Remember, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's time to eat. Amen. Second, there's great danger in doing them because they deviate from the truth of the gospel. If there's danger in it and I care for the person, what would I logically do out of an expression of love for them? I would warn them. I don't need to coerce them. I'm not into holy headlocks and the rest, but I, I need to address it. I need to, you know, you're stepping in the landmine. You're stepping into danger. And uh, any deviation from the truth has consequences. And if we're not concerned for their spiritual well-being of those who religiously abide by the things in the law, there's another problem. It's with us. It's with us. Okay? We have a misunderstanding in regard to the gospel and the covenants, or we have a lack of love. Either way. Okay? And, and that's partly why you know, we pause in our exposition to uh, look at the old and the new covenants so that we won't be shocked by the rest of what Paul says. Uh, we need to see these things as Paul saw them, as he was, and this is, I think, essential, that we're losing a sense of this uh, these days, is that Paul's perspective was a perspective that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's perspective that is coming through Paul. He was afraid. He, he was angry. He was frustrated. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for my review uh, why don't you please stand up and we'll pray. And uh, let me read the text to you first that we'll be in. I'll be reading from Galatians 4, verse 12 through 19, and then all the excitement will happen in the last section of Galatians. But there's good stuff preceding that. Paul says this to the Galatians, right after he says, you know, you observe days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you, 
my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now, but or and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Father, I, I just pray that the more we go through Galatians, that the heart of Paul would really become our heart as it is your heart. That we would also have the mind of Paul. We would understand the gospel, what it is and what it's not. That we would understand the nature of the covenants, which covenant we belong to. And that, Lord, our heart for people who are entangled in things that have been abolished, but that are also dangerous, Lord, that we would have that heart. And then you'd grant us the ability to confront in a gentle way in humility and love so that we can, we can rescue people. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated and return to verse 12, if you would. Don't let that deter you from taking your children to our... <laughs> It's like being at the dentist's office. (laughs) Verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You've not injured me at all. So Paul was urging them to become like him. Now, to become like Paul was to be free from the law of Moses. That's what he's saying, to be free. As a Jew, he was formerly under the law, but through faith in Christ, he died to the law, And then he was delivered from it, he says, so that I could actually serve God. I had to die to the law. I had to be delivered from it, Galatians 3.19, so that I could actually serve God. I couldn't do the law and serve God. All kinds of implications for our faith in that. So be free. Become like me. And then Paul reminds them that he, uh, he became like them, which means that when... He converted to Christ. He became like a Gentile because Gentiles had no obligation to the law of Moses. He says, I became like you, in a sense, not a pagan, but just I just no longer had the law. You guys never did have the law, of course, until the Judaizers showed up in town. Romans 2, 14 through 16, the Gentiles do not have the law, he says. But because of these Judaizers, the Galatians were putting themselves under the law of Moses, subjecting themselves to rules, regulations, days, months, seasons, years, diets, circumcision, and on and on and on it goes. And Christ is forgotten, really. Okay. It's all contrary to the gospel. Yeah. It's when Gentiles come to faith, Christ, of course, delivers them from the godless way of life, and then he joins them to himself through the gospel. When Jews come to faith, Christ delivers them from the law of Moses. And through the gospel, he joins them to himself. Neither Jew nor Gentile should be under the law of Moses. None of them. I know there's a whole movement, uh, the Messianic movement, where, where in the West, it's mostly Gentiles who want to be Jews. Uh, and ignoring what Paul said, if, if you came to Christ as a Gentile, remain. <laughs> Don't try to become something that you're not, okay? But also the Jew has been delivered from the law. He has no obligation to keep kosher. He has no obligation to the Sabbath and and the other things. He's been delivered. He's been taken, as we gave the illustration of the neighborhoods, he's he's moved out of the one neighborhood into the, the other neighborhood from the neighborhood of law and regulations and judgment to the neighborhood of grace and so forth. Neither Jew nor Gentile should be under the law of Moses. Paul then says, 
you have not injured me at all. Uh, this sentence is explained in the next three verses and, and in the overall context. Okay? Being hurt is really what Paul was trying to avoid. I don't know if you have ever, uh, you know, when you confront someone who is in sin or they're in legalism, and I know the word confront has this negative kind of sense to it, but confrontation is a good thing if it's done in a good way. But it doesn't matter how humbly or gentle you are as you creep into that situation, there's a chance that you'll get bit. And so Paul is really trying to get in here and address the issues uh, without being hurt. He hasn't been hurt this far, and he's trying to avoid that. But if they continued down this path and and became settled in it, uh, it's going to hurt, isn't it? They're going to hurt Paul because his heart is very intimately tied into the people that he's led to Christ and discipled in the faith. So what he does, he reminds them of the love that they've showed him in the past, verse 13 through 16. He says, you know that because of physical affirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. Must have been something gross. But he says, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? Of course, it's the gospel. He says, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So when you read the book of Acts, you you realize that wherever Paul went, uh, he suffered greatly, right? Uh, Not just persecution, as he did in Galatia. Uh, Remember, he was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Uh, But he also came there and he had some unknown physical illness. Some people think it was like some kind of eye thing. Uh, I've heard commentators say that when he was uh, further up north, he got malaria uh, or something. I don't know what the sense of guessing is sometimes, but he had something going on. It wasn't pleasant. And uh, it seems that people normally would have been like, whoa, but not with the Galatians. Okay, They weren't repulsed by his illness. They didn't push him away. They received him. They cared for him sacrificially. But now the question is, would you be repulsed by me? Would you turn me away because I'm teaching you the truth? I'm teaching you the truth. How many guys have bit, been bitten because of the truth? Yeah. How many of you guys have bitten because somebody has brought the truth to you? It's true, huh? I and mean, we're not the humblest people. <laughs> yeah. Were they willing to cut ties because of Paul's truth telling? I, I feel Paul's pain in this. Uh, you know, people that are you know, beginning to adopt the things of the law. Uh, I've never met one that enjoys or receives it well when you're, tell them, when you're telling them that they're living in bondage. You're just becoming a slave. Okay? You're being tripped up by this. Uh, years ago, it was too late by the time I realized what I had stepped in. Um, it's always too late, it seems. I had visited a Christian bookstore in California that was dedicated you know, to all things Jewish. It was fascinating. I had never seen anything like it before, ever, okay? Uh, people in, from Wyoming are a bit sheltered, but I, I just seen all this stuff that was, it was fascinating. And, and as I engaged with the store owner who was a professed Christian, she told me about how she keeps kosher and how she keeps Sabbath and the feasts and, and how wonderful it was. 
And so, what I thought was a gentle correction of her false beliefs, I, I pointed her to Galatians, and uh, to su- my surprise, she, she didn't receive it. <laughs> and when I showed her Galatians 3.10, that everyone is cursed who does not obey everything in the law, she threw me out of her bookstore. <laughs> yeah. And, and I honestly, I was genuinely shocked by her behavior. I was. I really thought she didn't know better, and with just a little help, she would be right as rain. <laughs> but she was mad. I, I really thought she'd be glad to hear that she didn't have to keep the law. I was sure that those living in bondage would be excited about freedom. She wasn't. I, I became her enemy for telling the truth. Yeah. She had informed me that she was the student of a certain rabbi who, of course, was feeding her all this nonsense, and she shared with me just how much she respected him and admired him. But I got the impression that she admired him way more than she should have, and he enjoyed being admired way more than he should have. And verse 17 comes to mind. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. Let me give you another translation to clear that up. I'm not sure the New King James guys nailed it on that one. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. See, the Judaizers came to town and they had zealously won the admiration of the Galatians, but it wasn't for their sake, the Galatians' sake, or for the glory of God. Their whole intention was to turn the Galatians away from the gospel that Paul was preaching and draw attention to themselves and their doctrine. You know, remember, Paul said that the Galatians were bewitched by the Judaizers. Bewitched, it really means to be, to be bedazzled, to be fascinated. They were awestruck by these men. Oh, they're, they're so knowledgeable. They're so wise and, and convincing, and they're so spiritual and authoritative. They were all those things. That was true, but they were wrong. They were like the serpent in the garden. They were cunning. They were cunning. Okay? They weren't really seeking disciples for the glory of Christ. They were seeking a following of their own. Imagine what Twitter would do to these guys. <laughs> Be like a drug. They were in it for themselves. And the Galatians, they were falling for it. And Paul was coming apart for them. He says in verse 18, Yet it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. So the zeal he's saying in the opposite, you know, their zeal for the Judaizers was dangerous. You know, and, and truly admiration in general could be dangerous because it blinds people from seeing error. Blinds people from seeing error, like that poor lady in her bookstore, like these Galatians. False teachers, or false teaching rather, it thrives in the shadow of admiration and respect. It could be a great distraction. People's eloquence, uh, people's, you know, their, their charismatic presentation, it's like sleight of hand with a magician. He's entertaining you with all of these other things. I wish I had some of that. Uh, maybe I don't. But behind his back, he's doing something deceptive. He's got you distracted by eloquence, charisma, and all of that. But behind them, in the shadows, false teaching is thriving. And before people know it, they're, 
They're caught up in things. When people are, are admired, they have the potential to get away with all kinds of stuff that other people would just be crucified for. It's the truth. And what we as Christians should really do is we should admire Christ and we should set our zeal on the truth of the gospel and then we can test the words of people. I've shared stories of how uh, I, I've listened to uh, you know, amazing preaching and what was coming across was complete nonsense. And you get way into the, the deliverance of, of this and you just need to be delivered. And it's like you, sh- you shake your head and you're like, wait a second, that is ridiculous. It sounds amazing, but it's, it's crazy talk. So these Galatians, they were bedazzled, they were fascinated as these people were getting away with perverting the gospel. Paul wants these guys to be, have their admiration for Christ and to cling to the truth of the gospel. Yeah, like every good parent, Paul is saying that I, I just hope that my spiritual children would walk in the truth, especially in my absence. That when nobody's watching, that their convictions would remain. He says, verse 19, my little children, what a sweet gesture of endearment. For whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. You really see the shepherd in Paul coming out here. Uh, he's been pretty coarse up to this point, uh, even a little abrasive, and that'll get worse later again. He's, that's the nature of the roller coaster, right? That's Paul right now. He's very emotional. But to, to him, these Galatians were like precious little children whom he had labored for greatly, especially when he first came to the region suffering illness, persecution, all to bring the gospel to people. And when people you know, step away from all of the other noise that they're hearing and they consider the motive of Paul who would suffer so greatly in his body, illness, and then remember the story, when he was stoned and left outside for dead, he didn't throw the towel in, did he? The disciples gathered around him, prayed for him. He didn't just walk to the next city. He walked back into the city. He's like, is that all you got? He was there for the the sake of people's souls. His motive is demonstrated in that. Who's going to compete with that if they would just wipe their eyes and look at Paul for a second? He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in in it for prestige or power or anything else. He just, he genuinely loved people. He wanted to see people snatched from the fire. They were his little children, as it were. And now because of this setback in their faith, he says, I'm in labor again like a woman with child. He's not with them, of course, but he's, he's agonizing in prayer. And he's writing this passionate defense of the faith for their sake. And he intends to labor for them, he says, until Christ is restored in them. And what he's saying is, my first and second visit there. The first visit, you receive the gospel. You receive some training in the truth. My second visit, we did more discipleship. I even took Timothy from you, right? And Christ, I was seeing him formed in you. But now it has to start over. Please notice the implicit danger of being entangled with the law in that statement. Paul is saying that any entanglement in the law arrests all spiritual progress. Any likeness of Christ that was gained is stunted whenever a believer embraces the law for righteousness. The law impedes, it it hinders, it atrophies any progress that was made. You know, when I, you know, through the years of being in ministry, as I've watched people, you know, come and go, the ones that have gotten entangled into the law, I I I always hear how spiritual it makes them feel. 
and how complete they feel and how it's, you know, it's, it's ignited or reignited their fervor for God. But then when I step back and observe, uh, I, I don't see what they're saying. What I see is zeal for Jewish traditions and, or whatever other tradition they've embraced, you know, greater commitment to rules, just restrictions on the liberties that God has granted them in the gospel. And as they get enamored with all of this, I see really their love for Jesus deplete. He's pushed aside for all of these things that are so amazing, caught up in the craziest things. You know, I don't care how it makes people feel. I grew up in LDS country, and moving to Washington, I've been exposed more to the New Age thing, and I hear all of them say the exact same things about their cults, exact same things. I don't care how it makes them feel. If it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it was communicated by the apostles of Christ, it does not glorify God, and in the end, it's not good for man. It's not. Only by the gospel of grace is Christ formed in the believer. That's it. It's the only means by which it can happen. A perversion of the gospel will only pervert the person. Yeah. Verse 20, Paul says, I, I, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. So Paul's letter so far, it's, it's been expressed with grief and frustration toward the Galatians, anger toward the Judaizers. That is certainly going to intensify later. But Paul is just saying, if, if I could only be with you... I could reason with you, and then I could take the Judaizers to task. How much he would love that, to put his boxing gloves on and go to work. Shepherds don't carry a staff for nothing. But the sad thing is, here he says, in all honesty, I'm not sure that you're going to turn around, that you're going to turn around. Yeah, this makes me sad because I've seen just too many people venture off into legalism and then never come back. Yeah, yeah church history also... Uh, those entire denominations that have never come back from their commitment to law and various man-made rules, even to the point where they don't even recognize the difference between scripture and tradition. And I don't mean the Catholic Church alone. There's others. And the traditions they follow and the rules they keep, they take precedence over love for Jesus. Love for Jesus is lost in religion, routine, and rules. And I believe it's really one of the most effective tools of Satan. It's all about rules for the glory of God rather than love for Jesus that motivates loyalty. I'll tell you, between the two, I know which one my wife wants. She wants me to just love her. And then as a product of my love for her, all these other things take place. But it's never about the rules, right? Law-keeping does not lend itself to love or true righteousness. It leads to self-righteousness. And pride always leads to death. It does. Now, I think that Paul's example in all of this is important. The letter, his letter, demonstrates that we have an obligation to go after our brother or sister when they get tangled up in legalism of any kind, okay? Even, even knowing that you could become their enemy, even knowing that you could get bit, okay? I've been bit. You get over it, okay? You recover. Uh, you become people's enemies, uh, even though they're not your enemy, you're their enemy, okay? It hurts, but you'll make it. You'll make it. But what is always more important is that person's soul, their soul. Okay. You're at risk, but don't let your pride be so strong that you're afraid to get hurt. You've got to get in there. Okay. Love doesn't observe passively. It confronts dangerous errors, sharing the truth with love, 
and humility, just as we see Paul doing. And then what follows uh, is what I've been eager to get to with you in verse 21 through 31 is Paul's illustration about the two covenants. That's the other reason that we took the break that we did to look at them, so that the illustration that Paul gives makes more sense. Okay. So next week, that's what we'll be looking at closely to help us uh, to help those who are bound up in the law. Okay. We want to think carefully about the illustration and then how we might use it to open people's eyes to the danger that they're in and what the Word of God is. There's a very interesting command in the uh, illustration by Paul. So please read ahead, prepare yourself, and then we'll try to put it together in a practical way. All right, I don't know if I got out early enough. I'll find out next service for sure. So pray for Lori to be gracious to me and uh, go from there. Please stand up and uh, we'll pray. Well, Lord Jesus, um, we don't want to just be able to accurately and humbly confront those that are trapped in legalism. But Lord, we want our own lives to be a demonstration of what it is to live by grace. As Paul says, being the student of grace that teaches us to stay away from ungodliness and to be godly and to look forward, to prepare ourselves for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to become the practitioners of grace so that when people hear our words, they can also see our lives. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, love you guys.